The series that we're bringing to a close today that I've called Foundation has been about relationships and primarily about the relationship between us and God. We've talked about how the accounts of Genesis 1 and 2 that lay out the story of creation really paint us a picture of God and paint us a picture of humanity and how they relate to one another. Now, we haven't really talked about how we relate to each other because so far there's only been one person, but things change in the story as we come at it today. And so I want us to think about what this passage has to say about our relationships with other people. And so we'll get to Genesis chapter 2 in the middle of the chapter in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I want us to think for a second about our purpose. You know, in our culture, we are talked to a lot about how we need to know the purpose for our life, the meaning behind our life. And, and really, one of the things that's touted as being something that matters a lot in our culture is the pursuit of our own happiness. Now, that's even in the founding documents of our country, right? So we think about that and, and we pursue that happiness. But I think one of the things that we find is that as we pursue meaning and purpose and happiness, we find out that they are all pretty elusive, that they're really hard to find. And in fact, sometimes if we, if we find those things in our life, they slip away from us before we even know it and then we're lost again. So here we are trying to figure out why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing and how can I find happiness? I mean, it makes sense that we want to feel good about ourselves and the world around us. And so we want that happiness, but we can't always get to it. So what does this passage say about that? We'll come back to that at the end of the message, but let's open and, and think about what this second half of Genesis chapter 2 has to say to it. Now, last week, Genesis chapter 2, the first half of the chapter, we talked about God creating human, humanity, take, creating this man. He formed Adam out of the soil of the ground, and he gave him a place, the garden to live in. It gave him something to do, which began him seeing his purpose by taking care of this garden, and then he opened up a relationship with the man. But let's back up even from that. For several weeks, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, and one of the themes that we note, it almost becomes a refrain in Genesis chapter 1, God looks on what he had created, and he says that it was Good. And at the end, when he looks on all of creation, he says that it is very good. But we see a real contrast from that when we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Because for the first time, God says something is not good. So what is it? Genesis 2, 18. Now, the Lord God, and we talked about this as the proper name for God when we see the letters of the Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, all four caps. That's Yahweh, the personal name for God. And then we see the word God, that's just the generic, generic name for God. Any God could go by this. So Yahweh Elohim, this is the God of Israel, the one true God, said it is not good. So what's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, that's one of those short verses in these two chapters in Genesis that packs a powerful punch. A lot is said in just a few words. God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, we're not sort of all the same on this, right? There, there are people in the room 
who like you are energized when you're in a room full of people. You feel better when there's a lot going on around you. You don't really like to be by yourself. It's always better if there's someone to talk to, to listen to, 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 to bounce ideas off. And you really like to be around people. And for others in the room, there's about 85 too many people in this room, right? I mean, you'd be, you'd be fine if it were you and God in here and that was it. We're all different, but I think even for those who don't mind being alone and at times even feel drained when there's too many people around, we still need community. God has created something within us that we need people to share our lives with. We need some people that we can talk to and talk about what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. We need people. Life was not intended to be lived in solitary. Now, again, we might be different on how many people we require and how much time we want to spend with them, but we're still made for that community. And here, there's no other people. So Adam is completely alone and God says it's not good and then God continues to speak and says I will make a helper suitable for him now that one little sentence has been interpreted in a host of ways across the last couple thousand years so we want to be careful with what we're saying here so he says I will find a helper I'll make a helper suitable for him when we see that word helper it's sort of easy for us to think he means somebody inferior. Like, like, does Adam need a maid or somebody to just tidy up behind him? All right. I had a lot of guys look at their wives in first service and they are in trouble now. So nobody else make that mistake. Okay. That's not what's going on here. Okay. This word helper, when we bring it over into English, sometimes does mean someone who, inf who is inferior, who serves another person. Can mean that. But what we find when we look in the Old Testament and look at the way that this word helper is used is that there are a number of occasions when the word is used to describe God himself. Like we could turn over to Psalm 27, verse 9, where the psalmist is addressing God. We see that in verse 7. And then verse 9 reads this way. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. So if, if God is sometimes our helper, if God sometimes helps human beings, we could hardly say that the word means that the person doing the helping is somehow inferior to the other person. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're saying at one level is, is this, this one man needs help. Now, I know some of the women in the room are saying his sons, grandsons, and descendants, I agree, they need some help, okay? But, but it's deeper, right? He's saying he needs a helper in his life because there are some things that he cannot do. There, there are some things that none of us can do on our own, right? I mean, if there's nobody to share life with, we can never tell a story of what happened today. Adam's got nobody, nothing. He has no community. He can't share anything. Adam can't procreate on his own. That's part of this, but not all of this. There's a lot going on that one person in solitary cannot do. And, and each one of us has our areas of deficiency, things that we're just incapable of doing. 
And so God says, I want to make a helper suitable. And it's not as though Adam gets to take resumes and choose someone that he thinks will compliment him. It's, it's more like I want to make a corresponding helper. Someone who is like Adam and not like Adam. Someone who fits him. So God acts. Verse 19. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Can you imagine how long that took and how long that line was and how creative he had to be, right? I mean, it's easy when you start out, dog, cat, Cow, horse, chicken, I got that. And then comes along this thing and he has to figure out you're supposed to call it a moose, right? Or this half otter, half duck that he has to say, call it a platypus, why not? I mean, it, this took a while, but even after all this, what we find is that no animal is a suitable helper. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In all of these living beings, they are called, nothing corresponded. Nothing fit. Nothing was enough like Adam and yet still different to fit him. So what does God do? Verse 21. So Yahweh Elohim caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. It's like he anesthetized him. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. And that's a traditional translation, rib. It's probably better translated like took part of his side, his, his bone and his flesh, more than a rib. He was, while he was sleeping, he took part of his side and then closed up the place with flesh. Then Yahweh Elohim made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The wording there is really interesting. Back at the first part of the chapter, God, God forms Adam, and he forms him out of the soil or out of the dust. And, and it's as if God is, is, is making, fashioning something out of the soil, and it becomes this human being, and God breathes life into Adam. He becomes a living being. But here the language is different. God, God takes this part of Adam's side, and he built a woman. That's, that's literally what it says. He built this woman, another human being from the side of Adam. It's a different language, a different picture. Part of what the writer of Genesis is telling us is that, that God fashioned the man out of this soil, but the soil and the man were very, very different. But God built the woman from part of the man. They are alike in so many ways. They are made of the same substance, the same thing. They are of the same kind. And then Adam speaks. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And, and there's sort of a play on words there, a little bit like there is in English. She shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. Isha is woman, Ish is man. But, but before that... Adam says, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Now, that was, that was true literally, right? 
Like, I mean, she's made of the same thing, made from him. But it's more than that. It's language that the ancient Hebrews used to describe when you are related to someone, when you are family with someone. If you said, she or he is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, you were saying, part of my family. We're related. We belong together. And so Adam is saying, right, right here at the beginning of the relationship with this woman, we're family. We're related. God is bringing us together in this relationship, the marriage relationship, one man, one woman together, creating a family. And that's what we get next. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The writer is telling us this is how families are formed. That's why people leave their family and form a new family. Okay? When they come together, when they are married, when they become husband and wife, they are a family. Right then, right there, a new family comes into existence. There's something special about that one moment when they come together. Now, certainly what we're talking about in part is a physical reality. There's a physical union. There's a sexual relationship between a man and a woman in marriage that, that is not part of any other relationship. So that's a, a different kind of relationship than any other, but that's not all that this means. It's a physical, spiritual, emotional connection that is unique to marriage. Okay, there's going to be relationships, and we need relationships, we're going to talk about that, that are wider and broader than that, right? Where we have a spiritual and emotional connection with another person, but there is no other relationship that offers the same level of intimacy in terms of physicality, spirituality, and our emotional connectedness like marriage. It's unique. And that's why in this moment, Adam can say, we're related. We're connected. We are corresponding, fitting helpers. So what do we learn from this? Well, I think we learn from this passage something about marriage that speaks into other relationships as well. We were made for each other. We were made to be together. God did not create us to all sort of go to our separate corners and live our whole lives in isolation. We were made to have community with each other. And one of the ways we do that is marriage. But there's other relationships in our lives, as I said, that allow for community as well. So, so what are some things that can help us in this? I think there's some basic truths, some things that we need to, to learn that can help us develop these kind of healthy relationships that offer community, and certainly they speak to marriage. First of all, first thing is we need other people. Right? It's as simple as that. Now, some people are going to find deep connectedness in marriage. Physical, spiritual, emotional relationship between a man and a woman that is like no other relationship in life. But not every human being desires to be married. And one of the things that we've missed as the church is this whole group of people, because marriage is sort of the way we see life, these people who have chosen to be single for whatever reason, and there could be any number of reasons. Maybe they just don't want that relationship. And we even see an example in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote a big chunk of our New Testament. We have no record of Paul ever having been married. In fact, he talks about the single life sometimes, and we have missed that. 
So this is not for everyone, but these people as well can find community in siblings, parents, nieces, nephews, people you attend church with, people in the community, people who are colleagues. We still need those connections with one another. And so we find that, but it's unique when it comes to marriage because of those very ways that we are connected to one another. Second, and this applies more to marriage, marriage involves giving. And what I found is when we start taking account of what we're giving in any relationship, but this is especially true of marriage, it is not going to go well, right? Because it's real easy for me to start keeping an account and find out that, well, I'm giving more than the other person. I can always add it up that way, right? Where I look pretty good. But that's a dead end. It's when we choose to, to give regardless. It's called unconditional love, right? When we choose to give, not expecting something in return, that the relationship can grow and blossom and develop into the intimacy that we need. Now, here's the thing. There is not one marriage represented in this room that is perfect because every single one of those marriages are made of two imperfect people. Two people who mess it up sometimes. Two people who may all, very often get it and understand it and practice it and occasionally really cause problems. And if we, first of all, hold that against the other person forever, it's going to lead to trouble. And second, if we expect them to be perfect, it's going to lead to trouble. And third, if we start keeping account of who's giving the most, it's never going to add up in a good way. It's going to be bad for the relationship. When we choose to give regardless, then the relationship grows. And this goes back to where we started today. Because if we go into relationships thinking, what am I going to get out of this? What is the other person going to offer me? How is it going to make my life better to be in this relationship, whether we're talking about marriage, we're talking about parenting, we're talking about friendship, we're talking about the church? It will not go well. When it's all about what do I get out of it, we're going to have problems. But you know, it's like seeking purpose and meaning and happiness in life. More often, when we forget about my own personal purpose, meaning, and happiness and invest in the life of others and give, somehow that meaning and purpose and happiness can come to me through what I'm doing for the other person. When I give up a little bit of what I want and give what the other person needs, we begin to find meaning, purpose, and happiness. And so instead of just pursuing what I want, I give up a little of me to help the other person. Third, build on what you have in common. What Adam and Eve had in common? Well, at the moment, they had the fact that they were human beings, right? There, there's no other human beings out there. They don't compare to anything else. Adam and Eve are more alike than any of the living creatures who surround them. They are, they have something that they hold in common. They they fit one another because they have commonality in that they are humans. The whole thing about corresponding is that they are alike and yet different. And they are more alike than they are like anything else that's out there. 
And when I talk to couples about this before they go into a wedding, I say, listen, think about what, what brought you together. What sparked the relationship? Because so often it's something that those two people have in common. A common interest, a common shared experience, a common part of their past. There's something there that brings them together. And, and sometimes it's their faith. But it may be that when the trouble comes, and it will inevitably come to every marriage, the thing that holds them together is the thing that brought them together. And so if we can identify those things, then it helps us make a healthy, long-term relationship. It's all part of that fitting together. And sometimes that, that thing that we have in common helps us fit. But that's in contrast with the last thing, and I think these have to go together. Learn from the differences. If we were exactly the same, we don't fit. But if we're just enough like and just enough different, then we do correspond to one another. We fit. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, that's what marriage is about. These corresponding things. And, you know, sometimes we find out things about our spouse and go, man, you know, I am terrible at this, and they are really awesome. And what we learn in that moment is, number one, maybe I let them do what they're really good at and back off. And second, maybe there's something for me to learn from who they are and what they can do. Maybe there's something, some way that I can become a better person by watching their example. Maybe it's something physical they do. Maybe it's something in the way that they relate to other people. And you go, wow, I never even thought of that. And so I think marriage is a lifelong celebration of the things that we hold in common, the things that we are the same with and the things in which we're very different, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And when we do that, we're headed down a healthy path. Now, this passage, we could go on and on. I mean, it speaks so clearly about so many different things, but it speaks directly to marriage, right? Because this is the first marriage. This is the first family. These are the people who came together at the very beginning. And they become, in God's eyes, this family unit that's going to bring about all the others. But it speaks more broadly. That God has created us to relate to one another. Yes, in marriage. But also as a community of faith. As friends. As people who want to share life. And so I invite you to learn these lessons that, that we learn at the very beginning, at creation, that are the foundation of our relationship with God, but it's also the foundation of our relationship with one another. That This life is designed to be shared. We are made for each other. Let's pray together. Now we're thankful for the creation of man and woman. We're thankful for the marriage that is a part of that relationship. And God, I pray that you will strengthen every marriage that's represented in this room, that's part of our church, that you'll strengthen the physical, emotional, and spiritual bonds that are part of each one of those so that they will be strong and they'll be a witness to who you are. God, I also pray that you'll strengthen our relationships with one another. God, help us to depend on each other. It's so easy for us to try to do this thing alone. 
But God, you're, you made us with this desire to connect with other human beings. And use the church to help meet that need. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.